Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.41 a.m. on the 10th of November, 2020. This is episode 318 of Bitcoin, and I'm going to give you an interview with Desiree Dickerson from Lightning Labs. Specifically, we're going to be talking about a little bit about her past and um, Mint Gox, the gaming platform. Uh, she's going to tell us a little bit more about what Mint Gox is, because even I was like, I, I really, I, I don't know, man. I can't figure this one out. I'm not sure if it's v, you know, if it's VR or if it's a, you know, something I can play all the time or if it's I can only be part of tournaments on the specific dates. So we're gonna get some real good clarification on that. But first, with the various news uh, about a certain individual saying some good things about Bitcoin, I want to take this opportunity to read a reminder from Anil Sidezo. I, I literally, man, dude, I mean, at A-N-I-L-S-A-I-D-S-O, you pronounce it, okay? Also known as Anil. <clears throat> now, way back in December of 2019, okay, that's December of 2019. We're coming up on damn near a year since he wrote this particular tweet thread. And it's not long, but it's a good reminder before we talk about a couple of other things. When explaining the significance of Bitcoin to pre-coiners, I found it helpful to use the views of people they already trust and respect. So here's a compilation of some of the brightest minds in tech networks and investing on Bitcoin, featuring Jack, Waz, and Naval. Number one, perhaps best positioned to fully understand the evolution of digitally transacting value is Jack the dual CEO of two multi-billion dollar companies with 100 million plus combined users. Dorsey once stated that he personally was acquiring $10,000 worth of Bitcoin a week. Number two, with a net worth in the region of $1.9 billion, the founder of LinkedIn, member of the PayPal Mafia, and now partner at Greylock VC, has acknowledged he owns Bitcoin. More recently, he was behind the Satoshi versus Hamilton rap bat rap battle video, if you remember that one. The angel philosopher, a.k.a. Naval, has been offering some of the most insightful commentary on Bitcoin since 2013. As an early investor in Uber, Twitter, and product hunt, Ravikant has exposure to Bitcoin through Metastable Capital. The co-founder of Netscape and uh, A16Z, Andreessen, serves on the board of Facebook, eBay, and Oculus VR, in 2014, he penned the now famous NYT op-ed, Why Bitcoin Matters, referring to Bitcoin as a breakthrough in computer science. Co-founding PayPal in 1988, I, wait a minute, co-founding PayPal 88, okay, Paralysis. Uh, parallels are often drawn between its original vision and BTC. The WSJ, Wall Street Journal, reported in 2018 that 
Thiel's co-founder or a founders fund acquired 15 to 20 million dollars of Bitcoin in mid 2017. He's also an investor in Layer One, which is focused on mining Bitcoin with renewable energy in the U.S. Layer One is kind of in trouble, guys. Uh, you'll have to watch that one. With $2.5 trillion in customer assets under management, Johnson has been opening up the legacy giant to playing in the digital assets, sphere, making venture investments in Bitcoin-related businesses and mining it internally for educational purposes. And that's talking about Abigail Johnson, Fidelity Investments, President and CEO. Statistician, former options trader, essayist, and author, Nassim Taleb's books are recommended by some of the greatest rationalists of our era. His essay on Bitcoin, which features as a forward to Saifedean's The Bitcoin Standard, is here, and then he links to it. Waz stated that he first purchased some Bitcoin at $700, though for never spe uh, specifically as an investment. He still regularly experiments with Bitcoin and related hardware. Former Facebook exec turned VC, I cannot pronounce it, Co-founded Social Capital in 2011. His fund has since exited Slack, Box, and SurveyMonkey. In 2013, in conjunction with two partners, he claimed to have held 5% of all Bitcoin in circulation. And this is Chamath Palhihapitaya. There's no way I can pronounce it, but Social Capital founder and CEO. Now, legendary portfolio Bill Miller is perhaps best known for beating the S&P every year between 1991 and 2005, calling himself a Bitcoin observer. Miller's firm holds Bitcoin, viewing the assets as a binary option. This list only seems to be getting longer. Paul Tudor Jones manages $7 billion in assets as the CEO of Tudor Investment Corp, founded in 1980. He has referred to Bitcoin as a store of value and is known for his investment philosophy of don't be a hero, don't have an ego. Having spent 10 years as CEO of Google and six years as executive chairman of Google Alphabet, Eric Schmidt is a fair judge of what constitutes remarkable. He had this to say back in 2014, praising Bitcoin's architecture, quote, Bitcoin is a remarkable cryptographic achievement and the ability to create something that is not duplicable in the digital world has enormous value. Yeah, well, do you think? Uh, formerly of AT&T, Priceline and Virgin Mobile USA, Dan Shulman has a deep understanding of markets and communication networks. As CEO of PayPal since 2014, he recently confirmed to Polina Marinova that he personally owns Bitcoin. Considering the greatest chess player of all time, or considered the greatest chess player of all time, Gary Kasparov sees Bitcoin as inevitable. Quote, I think it's a natural response to technology to help the public regain the control that has been gradually lost to outside institutions. Co-founding MicroStrategy, <coughs> co-founding MicroStrategy in 1989, Michael Saylor is leading the charge for adopting Bitcoin as the primary treasury reserve asset over USD. There's 3,500 publicly traded companies with $5 trillion in their treasuries, and it's all melting. And lastly, is this happened yesterday so if you were under a rock you didn't hear it so here it is known for founding Duqueness capital and managing the quantum fund with george soros stanley druckenmiller has an estimated personal net worth of four billion dollars the hedge fund titan has publicly stated that he owns bitcoin and believes the bet will work out better than gold 
He says this, it's been around for 13 years. It has a lot of attraction as a store of value to both millennials and the new West Coast money. And as you know, they have a lot of it. Says again, Stan Druckenmiller, the 16th massive person, I guess, you you know, in, in the space of legacy finance to come into Bitcoin. That's number 16. I'm sure there, there clearly there are more, but this is according to uh, Anil. So A-N-I-L, want to thank you for keeping this thread up. Now, remember, this thread began December 12th, 2019, and he just steadily adds to it. Um, his last few entries, let's see, he did the majority of the thread all the way to Wozniak. Uh, no, wait a minute, all the way to, let's see, Bill Miller. So he did this one thread on uh, December the 12th, and he went to number 10, Bill Miller. And then he had to add May 7th, May 26th, June 22nd, July 24th, September 16th, and then eight hours ago when Stanley Druckenmiller popped up on everybody's radar. Good list, and I'm glad that he's doing that. Uh, I have to keep that one uh, in my bookmarks to make sure that I've always got a, a chance to update you on that one okay now what's going on uh let's get into a news brief uh we already talked about stanley druckenmiller so now apparently an ex-microsoft developer is jailed for 10 million dollar scheme involving bitcoin yeah apparently there was this ukraine i'm not going to read it apparently there was this ukrainian guy and he used the some credentials from other microsoft employees to uh, do a whole bunch of mixing and get some, you know, I don't know. He was involved in a lot of mixers. Anyway, he's in jail. Now remember, mixing is a little bit different than, you know, coin join and whatnot like that. But, you know, it might be a situation where it's a gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Uh, the, the mempool is, or my mempool is fairly clear. Uh, I've got, you know... It just seems to be clearing for the last, you know, couple of days since the weekend. Uh, fees are cheap. This might be the time to move coins, open channels, close channels on Lightning, do any kind of coin swappage, you know, whatever, dude, because th- fees are entirely low. And apparently the, you know, we, we've got a fairly clear mempool to work with here. Um, let's see, where are we at here? Oh, Bitcoin Cash is going to go into its, its hard fork in another couple of days. Um, Will, William Suberg has, you know, pretty much nothing to, you know, good to say about this. He's writing for Cointelegraph, but I like his, his, uh, his sub line here says the embattled spinoff of Bitcoin shows little signs of life prior to its hard fork as Bitcoin vastly outperforms. <laughs> he doesn't look like he likes it too much. So anyway, this piece of garbage is supposed to split off in a couple of days and it's probably going to be. I would say it was going to be the fork, fork it, it's done, but no, because these zombie, zombie coins, I mean, come on, man. From what I understand, they're still trading one coin and shit or whatever it was that uh, BitConnect, I think still somehow or another is being traded. Anyway, just, yeah, it's probably not going to die. <clears throat> and then um, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, that that that'll give you that'll give you what you need to know for the for the news brief. But we do need to do some vital statistics here. P 
peering into the future, we have oil, both of them. Well, okay, there's more than Brent, North Sea, and West Texas, but they're both up. West Texas Intermediate is up a point and a quarter, uh, $40.79 a barrel. Brent, North Sea is up one and a half, $43.03 for a barrel of that. Natural gas is up uh, $2.89 for a thousand cubic feet of that. And oh my, you know, honestly, man, it's been at like three point, you know, $3 and, you know, two cents, $3 and 40 cents all the way down to $1 and eight, you know, 80 cents. It's just natural. I don't know what's going on with natural gas, man, but it is all over the place. Gold has a little bit of relief, but you know, not after that dump yesterday, it's up one and a quarter. It's opening price is going to be somewhere around, you know, $1,877. Let's see here. Uh, index futures. It, yeah. Who knows? It's mixed. Uh, Dow futures are up 0.8 to the upside. S&P futures are down, meh, like 0.08. NASDAQ futures, however, down 1.6. And the S&P mini is up almost 2. But let's talk about real money. Bitcoin is at 15,242.9. So I, I don't know exactly why we're dumping, but, you know, we dumped, you know, a good six eight hundred dollars from the from the tip to local top 311 transactions were made in the last 24 hours 13,000 transactions are being performed every hour on the hour and it looks like 2.11 million BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours that is 88,277 BTC being sent on average every hour there is an average transaction value of 6.81 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.035 BTC, or about 530 bucks. Block times are seriously low. Eight minutes and 28 seconds. That's eight minutes and 28 seconds. 0.85 BTC have been taken in fees on a per block basis. 140.9 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Holy shit. 18.33% to the upside on hash rate. We are now at 144.5 exahashes per second, which is really high. Wow. Okay, so difficulty is going to have to adjust. Jeez, good God. Okay, now for my for one of my good uh, friends and and listeners out there, Ethereum is at 440. Oh, okay, I I know. I'm just I'm just playing around with you, man. So let's do it this way. Right. He, he had a real problem with the fact that I'm reading shitcoin prices. He doesn't want to hear it. Okay, just for you, Ethereum, meh, Bcash, meh, Litecoin, meh, BSV, meh, Ethereum Classic, meh, but Dogecoin, 0.0027. Yes, that's right. And with 38,358 transactions over the last 24 hours, Dogecoin, the meme coin, the joke coin, smoking Ethereum Classic, and pretty much tearing Bcash up as usual, but not Litecoin again as usual for some reason. I don't know why. Clark, what do you got to say? Well, he's saying $15,300 a coin. And apparently there are only 15,000 transactions that are waiting to clear. And it's going to take seven blocks to clear that. So looks like we got some mempool action building back up. We'll have to see how that actually goes. Now, there's 1,031 BTC in the Lightning uh, network, and that is worth $15.8 million right now. That's 7,545 nodes representing 35,457 channels. 
Percentage of torque capacity crept up 50.4%. That is 520 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that is over 2,535 nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. like to welcome Desiree Dickerson to the podcast. She is a VP of business operations at Lightning Labs. Uh, Desiree, welcome to the, Desiree, Desiree, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay. So first question out of the bag, snails. <laughs> it's on snails. your Twitter. <laughs> it, it, are, are, are you raising snails? <laughs> I, I do. I do have a snail farm, actually. Um, it's not going super well, to be honest. So I need to like probably update my profile. Um, but yeah, I, um, I am I have a snail farm. Um, and really, the idea behind it was um, I love escargot. And like, oh. I, I randomly heard about people raising snails. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if I could do urban snail farming. Um, so that's just been like a side project for, since probably like March. Um, yeah. It's a lot more challenging indoors than I thought it would be. Um, but I kind of had this whole idea like snail caviar is becoming like very popular. So I had this like really cool idea about snail caviar and had, you know, some potential um, some p potential buyers here in the DC area um, for some restaurants, but um, yeah, I'm I'm still kind of experimenting. Um, it's definitely a slow process, but yeah, that's like a little a little side a little side project. That was really interesting. I was that's what I was thinking is that you were doing it for uh, cul uh, culinary snails. So that I, I can't imagine doing it for for anything else. But um, <laughs> how did how did you get into that? I mean, did was that I mean. I mean, like you mentioned that there's a potential, you know, potential market and stuff, but was there just something that you read? Cause I've, I've done things like that where I'm like, I got really into, you know, hydroponics and now I've got a crack key system down in my basement that I'm trying to grow, you know, lettuce out of. And I mean, was it just something you ran across or what? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it really started just because I, absolutely love eating escargot and I, I was in Vermont in January I think it was and um you know someone was telling me about um I mean I think it was actually on PBS Sunday morning where they um interviewed some like snail farmer up in um like somewhere in New York and so I just found it like very interesting and I actually have lots of random pets and you know as you mentioned before we got on like I do have like a science background so I understand like how like these type of creatures work so I have like I have several tarantulas I have a pet bearded nice. dragon um so I have like a, a lot of different types of creatures so I thought hey you know like I'll just try this <laughs> um, so it's been, yeah, it's been really interesting, not just like, you know, I'm still trying to kind of get the whole process, like the whole life cycle of the snails down. I've actually taken um, a course on it as well, but there's lots of like interesting, like regulatory hurdles as well in terms of like the USDA and snails are 
invasive species. So it's just like, um, you know, there's, there's yeah. a lot to learn. Um, you know, unfortunately I don't spend as much time on it as I would probably need to, cause I actually like very much enjoy my job and my job is also my hobby. So, um, yeah, yeah just, and that's always a blessing. That's a slow go. Yeah. Well, that, I don't know. It sounds interesting. I like how you said creatures. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, because we, we do have limited time, uh, can you take me, can you take me all the way back to what you were doing in high school, what you were thinking about where you wanted to go in life? Were you thinking along those lines or, you know, take me back to when you're like a, you know, a little kid and like, what are you thinking about? Oh man, that's like a, a very interesting interesting question i mean you know i'm not sure that i was like really thinking about much i guess you know it's a blessing and a curse both my parents are just very hands-off um in in like the nicest way where they're just like hey whatever you want to do whatever you want to be it doesn't matter you could be like a street artist and like be living on the streets and we will love you and accept you so i have a very like that's kind of especially how my mom is and so um i actually grew up I, I learned to oil paint before I could even read. Um, wow. So I was kind of brought up um, really kind of in the arts. Um, and that's something that my mom always really supported. And I took lots of private classes. So really, I, the expectation was that I was going to go to art school and um, kind of pursue that path. But uh, when I got into high school, I was like, oh, wow, you know, I was living in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. And I was like, okay, I don't want to live in Ohio forever. <laughs> I need to get out. Um, and then I remember being in like, I don't know what class where you would take these like you, tests or like you would like look into different careers and they would tell you like, you know, how much each career made. And I, I looked up artists and I was just like, shocked. Yeah. like this was junior high. I think I was like, okay, well, like, this is not, going to work if I plan to get out of Ohio. So then um, I, I've always been interested in um, the sciences. Like I've always had weird pets, like, <laughs> like, like literally like killer ants, like weird, weird, very weird things, um, frogs, newts, all of those things. So I've always loved science. So, um, you know, I kind of just kept on going to that and I figured, okay, I'll probably, I'll probably just become a doctor or like, do some type of like research science. Um, so then I went to college and I got my um, bachelor's in uh, biology, but I also I kind of specialized in endocrinology and then also ecology and evolution. Um, and then I didn't really know if I wanted to go to medical school. Uh, wasn't really something I wanted to do. I did a ton of research in undergrad. Um, and I was like, I'm not sure if I want to do that either. It's very, um, it's very lonely doing research in a lab. Um, you know, you're constantly only thinking about one problem and solving that one problem. Um, so I went to grad school, which I don't know if that's something I would go back and do again, but I went immediately to grad school and got my master's in um, biophysics and physiology and kind of really enjoyed my time um, doing that. But um, I realized, you know, I don't, I want to solve like more problems, not necessarily bigger problems, but like larger scope problems. So um, I decided to then go into consulting because 
you know, you got to, you get to solve problems all the time. Like that is literally your job. Um, and then also it paid a lot better. And I clearly had yeah. a lot of student loan debt. So I kind of made um, the transition into consulting. So um, that is a strange pathway, but like it's kind of, I just, whenever a door opens, I kind of just try and step into it. You started consulting in the healthcare industry, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, that, yeah, I did that for a long time. My first project was working on um, healthcare.gov, the first year of the Affordable Care Act. Um, uh-huh. And that was like, obviously like a very eye-opening experience. Um, and so with some, um, I was at Booz Allen at the time and, you know, they had a lot of like really cool programs internally to like um, experiment with like health technology. So a friend and I actually um, started an app within uh, Booz Allen that was for Google Glass when that was a thing. And it was yeah. um, an application that helped Alzheimer's patient, Alzheimer patients with memory recall. Um, and so we worked on that for a long time. And that's where like the whole tech thing. I mean, I've always like been obsessed with the internet and being on the internet all the time, whether it was like AIM or Reddit or whatever. And, um, you know, so that's kind of where like I got more into the technology track was like building that app out at Booz Allen. Um, and then mm-hmm. also, you know, that's when I kind of like transitioned to like health technology. And um, so most of my projects thereafter were focused on like health and health and technology. Okay. So, and then you skip in, you uh, skip into doing, you know, consulting on on the tech side. So you go from biology to doing uh, actual research. And I was looking at, I was looking at your publications in the Kreitman lab. They're actually pretty impressive. In fact, Um, it's (laughs) weird because- it's weird because I've, I've never talked to anybody who's like actually looked at one of those. Well, see, my my background is cell and molecular biology, and I was a Howard Hughes Medical Institute undergraduate research fellow at Texas Tech. So I was doing type two diabetes, you know, rat model endothelial cell stuff uh, at the physiology department at Texas Tech University Health Science Center. So I'm looking at these going. You know, we could probably talk forever about science, but we shall not because we have other fish to fry. Um, so now you're VP of operations at Lightning Labs. How the hell did that happen? I mean, did you apply or did somebody snatch you? How did that work? Oh, it's actually funny. Uh, um, someone, a mutual friend of Elizabeth and I's kind of um, had recommended Elizabeth was looking for someone to do operations work. Um, this was like, you know two and a half years ago. And, um, she had recommended me to Elizabeth and Elizabeth actually pinged me on Twitter, DM'd me on Twitter. And so we started Uh chatting that way. And it was like, you know, it's kind of like just history ever, ever since. And this is Elizabeth Stark, the CEO and co-founder of Lightning Labs. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure that people knew, knew, you know, exactly who we were talking about. Um, so I'm assuming that somewhere before then, you find Bitcoin. When was that? And what were your first impressions when you like somebody told you about it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, this is a, a story that I, I get made fun of a lot for, which is totally fine. I love it. Uh, when I was when I went to grad school, um, I was obviously right out of college. So I was still very young. And um, the majority of 
people in my program were older. It was a very small program, only like 30 people anyways. And so, um, you know, I'd moved to DC. I was at Georgetown. I didn't really have a lot of friends or, you know, a lot of people were married or had kids. So it wasn't, I mean, they're all very friendly, but I, um, you know, just had a lot of time to spend by myself. So, um, you know, I was always on Reddit. I still am always on Reddit. Um, and uh, when I was on Reddit, I stumbled on our Dogecoin. And I was like, nice. oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, know, right? uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, these people are just so nice. Um, this is so cool. People like there's, this, you know, this coin and, you know, people are like raising money to support like you know good causes like they did the whole i mean cool things like the nascar thing yep. and so i just thought that was like pretty incredible there's this huge community around this you know like fintech project and i thought that was it was really neat so i spent a lot of time um in our dogecoin and i actually heard you know i'd heard about bitcoin before but i never like even thought about it but that's how i actually came to bitcoin because then i was like oh bitcoin you know, that's real. It's not just fun and silly. It's like actual real sound money. Um, and so, mm -hmm. yeah, it was like grad school 2013 that I like slowly just like started thinking about it, reading about it, you know, being on Reddit, just like searching threads. Um, and then, uh, you know, once I started doing consulting and working a lot with government clients, I got just more and more um, disenfranchised with, with, um, with everything the system was going on in general there. yes yes exactly yeah. so then i was like the two things for me was like okay no no more like i have to work on this like this is just not only like something i'm passionate about but something the world needs like the world doesn't need me you know consulting on bullshit projects right. um, that just basically spends waste taxpayer dollars it's like you know i could work on something that could really change the way that people live and really help people so um that's kind of how I um, how I changed my mindset to like I'm really going to get into this thing. So VP of business operations, what you know, we we bandy these you know uh, you know C level words around a lot without actually digging into you know. There's a lot of people that don't know what that is. What what do you do? I mean, I don't mean I don't mean to be like I know that sounds a horrible sounding question, but it's like I look. I remember I was on a date and I met my dates, a, a friend of my date. And she looked at me and she said, what's your function? And I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> I've never heard that before. But you know, I was like, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what do you do at lightning labs? And, and what's that, what's that office of VP of business operations kind of entail? Oh man, it is a lot of things and it's always evolving, which is, uh, you know, fun. And I think that's just like, you know, somewhat the nature of working at a startup. Um, you know, when I started at Lightning Labs, we were, you know, seven or eight people. So back then it was, you know, a lot of everything from like ordering supplies for the office to, you know, managing team retreats, doing a lot of things. Um, but, you know, as we've grown, the roles evolved a lot. So it just kind of stems from really everything that keeps the company moving. So accounting, uh, dealing with the IRS, um, uh, budgeting, finance. Um, and, you know, that's just like kind of like the day-to-day -day stuff. Like it involves like recruiting, hiring, uh, people management, um, and, I, the roles really evolved in the past like year or so. 
um, with kind of thinking about our customers and our users. And so I, um, about last year at the Lightning Conference was when we really started thinking about this. And I started doing these things called um, like Lightning Roundtables and really starting to talk to our customers and our users. And that's when we really started building um, up what I would, I hate this word because I hated mm-hmm. it in consulting, but um, it's, I don't have a better word for it, is business development. And yeah. so that was something for the past year I really, um, really wanted to build out. So I've built out like a business development framework and you know, really started um, listening to our customers and having regular check-ins. And you know, I've really grown that to the point where now it's much bigger than I can handle. So we brought in um, Ryan Gentry, who's our business development lead. So yes. um, he's you know, obviously been wonderful. I'm so lucky to work with him every day. Um, but you know, that business development was one, uh, a big part of, um, business operations. And then, um, looking forward, thinking about, you know, you might be surprised, but, um, we don't really have a huge marketing budget at lightning labs. Um, and you know, it's largely Elizabeth and I doing a lot of this stuff. And so, you know, looking forward, we want to like start thinking about, you know, how we can market and frame our products so that people understand, um, you know, what we're putting out there. So, you know, it's really business operations means a lot of different things um, and it's yeah. kind of always evolving. So really, yeah. um, it's, we're still and that's, small. <laughs> and that, but that, that's, that's nice because it's, you know, you're, when you're handling a bunch of like logistics and you're going everywhere from the, you know, highest end problems to stuff like making sure that there's enough, you know, paper to do stuff. That means that you're, you know, that, that kind of person is the person that you, that you really want there because they're not lifting their nose up at something saying that's beneath me or whatever. And everybody's pulling together saying, I don't care who does what bail out the ship because we got to keep this thing floating and and do all, do all of our work. So kudos to that. Um, now, The whole reason that you are here is because both Wayne Wong Chong and uh, Samson Mo suggested that I have you on because uh, I want to talk more. Almost nobody in this space really gets into the gaming aspect and how Bitcoin fits in with that. Now, you're connected with Mint Gox, and that's why they said you need you need to be talking to you need to be talking to uh, Dickerson definitely. And I'm like, okay, so I'm start you know I started kind of researching a little bit on Mount uh, on Mint Gox. Can you nutshell what Mint Gox is? Yeah, I mean, I can definitely mint like I can definitely nutshell it, but you know, I think we should definitely dive into it a little oh, more. But will. it's definitely. <laughs> Awesome. I mean, this is my favorite thing to talk about is um, lightning and gaming, but um, it's really just a next gen um, esports event series and platform that has Bitcoin and lightning integrated into the games. Um, you know, that's that's kind of like the short and sweet little one sentence about it. I think it's in okay. our Twitter profile. Yes. And we'll we'll uh, we're definitely going to pull that apart. But how Okay, so there's your VP of operations at Lightning Labs. And then there's this thing that you're part of called Mint Gox. Is Mint Gox part of Lightning Labs or is this a standalone entity that you just happen to be also doing? Yeah, no, it's it's not part of Lightning Labs and it's more of just like a a side little side project that it's not just myself. It's myself, um, Simon Cow, 
um, Andre Neves, uh, Christian Moss, all from, um, they are all at Zebedee, and then Jack Everett from Thunder Games. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of, if you want the little bit of a quick origin story. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been super interested. I, obviously, doing BD and like thinking about our customers, I, I like to think about, you know, use cases and like, how do we group these customers? How do we best like build and, you know, market for these um, different use cases or verticals, whatever you want to call them. Um, And, you know, the one that I find the most interesting personally um, is gaming, just because I love gaming. And I also think that there's like a huge potential to like onboard a lot of new users directly through Lightning, like even just bypassing Bitcoin, because like, there's such an easy on-ramp. You come to McGox, you play, you win sats. All you have to do is download a wallet. You don't even have to buy or purchase the Bitcoin. So you're like totally hooked. It's like the needle in your arm. Um, and that's, so I've always been interested in that. Um, and so early this year, um, we were supposed to do something um, for Lightning Gaming and just like Lightning in general at uh, Magical Crypto Conference, uh, which I was super excited about. And we had a call with Simon, maybe a couple of other folks from Zebedee. I don't even remember what the call was about, but we're all kind of like aiming towards the same thing. Like how do we showcase different companies or just different games that have Bitcoin and lightning built into them. And then of course, like right after that happened, um, the pandemic hit and lockdown and everything was kind of postponed or canceled. So we were just like, okay, how can we continue the momentum? Like just because we can't be in person, we don't want the momentum in this like tiny little micro industry of lightning gaming to stop so we were like okay let's just throw together a virtual event that you know has vr integrated has desktop integrated like how can we you know start playing around with this so we had the first one um i believe it was april i'm not sure um but it was a hit people really liked it and so we're just like let's try and make this monthly and just do an event like an esports event series and so that's what we've kind of um, continued to do and we are just kind of constantly evolving and like just trying to change and and better better the program for the people who are coming and we've it's it's going really well we have like tons of streamers i think um our last event we had um 4400 or more streamers we have like once like 15,000 lightning transactions over the course of two hours or something. Wow. It was the stats just keep growing. I'm constantly amazed and amazed. And it was something that was, you know, just supposed to be a one-off, but the demand is there. So we just kind of keep on building and um, yeah, it's, it's gotten pretty big. Yeah. Well, that's part of business development anyway. And I, I don't have a problem with, you know, with that word because that actually makes a lot of, you know, d- business development makes a lot of sense. I, I back in, after I got out of, uh, with my cell molecular biology degree, me and a friend of mine put together a synthetic gene construction laboratory and, a, uh, a very large sequencing <laughs> aspect to it. So yeah, having to put all those pieces together, identify markets, all that stuff is just, it's like sort of like a cross between, like you said, problem solving, but there was a lot of matchmaking that, that went on saying, you know, being able to say this person needs to meet this person and we need to talk about this. And, and then all of a sudden, all these wonderful things have a tendency to drop out and being able to notice, Hey, possible trend. Hey, let's let, you know, capitalize on that. Let's leverage the living do- you know, the 
living dog out of it and see what happens. So, so it was that, that one event that basically puts you guys on the path to doing this, like in a much larger way. But before we travel on, you said something about you were, had been a gamer, a gamer yourself or still are. How, how long you've been playing video games? Oh my gosh. Like, since I was so small, like I remember my dad had NES and we would play like duck hunt and um, you know, he has always been into video games. I mean, he still is, he literally plays video games every single day. He's like, you know, 65. Um, And so I've I've just always been in it. And uh, you know, like when my parents, like when I was very young, um, my parents got divorced. And so one of the big things that my dad would do with us when we would come over was just like um, every Friday night he would order pizza and we would play, um, we'd play like Nintendo 64 games and Uh GoldenEye and, you know, Mario party. And it was always just like such a joy growing up and something I look forward to. And I continued through college and obviously I don't really have a ton of time to do it now, but you know, I still enjoy a decent amount of like Animal Crossing or you know, Fall Guys. <laughs> I've been playing a little bit, um, so I always you know try to keep a a little bit of it. But um, yeah, it's always just been like a happy part of my life that I'm. I, I was just super excited when I thought of you know saw people exploring this use case because it's like oh this is so cool. I love it and I need to get involved. So. We'll, we'll got to end, you know, end on that. But before we do, I, I do want to ask, do you have a favorite all-time video game? Oh, a favorite all-time video game? Yeah. Oh, man. I got to say, I mean, I feel like Zelda is just such a classic and I've spent like so many hours of my life playing Zelda. Yep. Um, but classic. I also like... There's other things like, I mean, just like Crash Bandicoot, like any of those games, it just like brings me back to my childhood and like gives me, it's yeah. like feels like Christmas morning when I think of it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I would, I mean, I'd just go back to Zelda, honestly. Like, no, yeah. that's a good one. That's a, that's a high, that high quality answer. Congratulations. You win this round. Mine is actually Bioshock. <laughs> Bioshock is my absolute favorite game of all time. And it actually has more to do with the cohesiveness of the visual display the cohesiveness of, of the uh, architectural and the, the marriage between you got steampunk, but you've also got like um, art deco. I, they did such a ridiculously meticulous job in bringing the, the visual to that, that I, every time I sit down in front of it, I'm just like captivated, even though I can clear the game and like, you know, it doesn't take me any time at all to play it. Cause I, I know it so well, but um, now, so this is e-gaming and e-sports in general. Okay. Your, your thoughts in general on, you know, how important is e-gaming, e-sports, you know, when you look at it, what do you see? I mean, I see it. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody can deny it. It's definitely the future of social networking. Um, you know, you know, people like millennials might not see it because it's like, oh, we're just so um, we're so set in our ways with things like Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. But like, if you see these younger generations, I mean, they are this esports is it, right? Like, they want to watch they, they want to watch streams of games. Like, forget watching the NFL. Like, they want to watch people play video games, and that's yeah. how they interact now. Like, people are you know 
people's social network instead of being on like AOL, AOL instant messenger. Like, you know, when I was younger, it was now mm. it's like people are interacting with each other, like in Fortnite. So, yeah. I mean, it's inevitable that we're going to transition to games being the way that we interact socially. And it only makes sense that there is like a built in currency because like, that's a major way that people communicate and transact is, you know, through financial transactions. Yeah. Ab- yeah, absolutely. I've, I have watched e-gaming and esports as an industry just mow down any expectation any any of the naysayers ever had i was like look man you can you can think it's silly all all day long but you're looking at a you know multi-billion dollar industry and it looks like it's it's not going to stop and i i don't think it's going to lose any market share it's just going to eat things up and what's funny about it is that it's popping at the exact same time that covid has basically made legacy sports almost unpalatable at this point and you, you know, watch a football game and it's empty stands and there's, there's no energy. There's no nothing, but esports is a completely different thing since most people are actually some in like a virtual arena. It's, you know, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. So the, the way that, that mint Gox fits into this is you have a, a set of tournaments and stuff like that. Can you, you, I want to like get into this a little bit, a little bit more because I'm looking, I'm looking at the website right now. And there's like, uh, I, from what I can tell, six games are available at any given time when a tournament starts. Is that correct? Or do I have that completely wrong? Um, no. So we, this is, you know, things that we are continue to work on is like, how do we best like, um, kind of, um, tell the story of like how this works and you know we're evolving and, and any type of feedback or suggestions from folks are definitely welcome my dms are open but um so right now as it is we have one monthly event and um it is just like it starts at 2 p.m um 2 p.m eastern and that's when like the main tournament like the main esports tournament um starts so it's typically a like a like Bitcoin rally, which is basically Mario Kart with Bitcoin built in. So like you not only win Bitcoin for your prize, but like you can um, you like you can pick up coins that are actual real Satoshis in the game. Um, so like there's one big esports tournament um, at two o'clock. And so but before that and during and after the game there on mintgox.com, there is a dashboard that you can play other games directly in the dashboard. So there's one called Sat Stacker and Saratobi. Saratobi is like a little monkey that you he like swings in a tree and you can um, pick up Satoshis and win Satoshis that way. And then Sat Stacker is like one of those like old school coin pusher games um and those are just kind of like little fun side events that um are a way for people to um just like win a few sats here and there and then those sats that they win in those games they can actually use those sats during the tournament and or use your sats that you already have stacked um and you can actually interact directly with the esports tournament so you know if you're if i'm sitting here on my computer on mintgox.com and I'm watching the esports tournament, like I can use my Satoshis and there's like a, a QR code that comes up and I can drop power-ups directly in the game or I can um, send sats to make like a 
act of God where like everybody is like has gets a lightning bolt and like they can like not you know drive very fast anymore so um, oh, that's, that's something that we're yeah we're experimenting with breaking down that kind of like fourth barrier between um the players and the streamers so streamers can actually interact with and actually impact the game that they're viewing yes that that breaking down of that fourth wall or whatever it's you know usually called is i i think is really important and i had a you know i was playing uh, i've played video games god since since i was a kid i'm talking like like old school like going to the mall and hitting the arcade that's where you know way back then so i grew up with this stuff and then uh, you know fast forward years uh ultima online was a game that i you know an mmo a persistent universe that i really enjoyed playing but you know after a while it was like god it's just like a visual chat room and it was getting boring and yeah and then there was this one night i just happened to be in there and one of the game managers one of the gms uh some and and I don't, they never did the, I never saw them do this again, but one of the game managers took control of one of the most hard to kill monsters in the game that you can get. The thing is like, like this floating eyeball that would shoot lightning at you and just kill you on the spot and came in like the way the rules in this particular game worked is if you were in town, like in a protected town, then monsters didn't get there. So we all thought we were safe. This thing, this dude cruises in, starts chatting with us. And telling us to leave the town or he's going to kill us all and then the next thing you know we're like what what the hell is this and we kept saying okay well you can try and then he would like start blasting us we'd resurrect and finally we ended up killing the thing but for 30 minutes that was the funnest time that i had in that game because it was something external in the world that was now powered by a human being so now we take it to to y'all's you know instance of that so you're saying I could like just decide to drop a power up in the middle of a race, not for me, but for, for somebody else that's in the race, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, our next event, which is on November 29th, um, right after Thanksgiving. So if you're just chilling at home, you can um, tune in. I encourage everyone to. But um, we'll be doing Bitcoin rally like we typically do, but we're also going to be featuring Bitcoin bounty hunt. Uh, which is the first person shooter game by Donner Lab. And uh, right. one thing that the audience will be able to do is they will be able to add bounty on different players' heads. So if it's like, you know, someone like player X is playing, I want to like add 100 sats to player X's head, then that's going to incentivize other players to kill player X. And player oh, X yeah. like has no control over it. So it's like, we're really experimenting with like some cool ways of like incentivizing in-game behaviors. Oh, that's okay. This is just going to be way too much fun. So now, <laughs> see, now I want now I want to be part of it. So the next question is, hey, how can I be part of this? I mean, what kind of do I do? I need a badass rig. Does it have to be VR? I mean, for the tournament, and I'm talking like, how do I get into the tournament? Is it a bracketed thing? Can you take me through that because I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. So um, I want to stress that uh, the majority of the event, like 98% of the event does not happen in VR. So, um, you know, VR is like a nice little component, but we recognize that like not everybody's always going to have 
um, a VR headset. So we are really transitioning. In the beginning, it was very VR focused, but um, now it's all browser based pretty much. There is the VR component is just like, hey, if you want to hop in VR and watch the tournament in like this super crazy custom Mick Gox world that Chris Moss, who's at Mandelduck on Twitter, he built this like insane VR world. It is so cool. There's like a Western world. There's Poyo Feed is in there. Um, it's really cool to just go and hang out. But all you can really do in there is um, is watch the just like stream the tournament in VR. And then um, after the event, when people are just hanging out and talking, Chris will do a um, will do a walkthrough of the world. And we do often. Um, kind of feature community artwork in VR. So if like you're drawing or, you know, painting or doing anything that can be captured like and made um, digital, like we will, and it's Bitcoin related, we will um, feature that in our virtual art museum. So he does a walkthrough of that, but all of that you can see, like we stream it on the, the browser as well. So like you can watch the browser. That's just like kind of a side thing. Um, okay. But how to get involved, sorry, I just wanted to touch on that because a lot of people really enjoy that. But um, how to get involved, um, yeah, anybody can participate. Uh, we will, since this is becoming, like, very popular, um, we will host some qualifying rounds. Um, I encourage people to join our Discord for all the details. Um, we actually just announced the Bitcoin Bounty Hunt Tournament today. So um, the qualifiers start on November 20th. Join the Discord with for information on exactly like how to participate because you'll have to download um, Bitcoin Bounty Hunt um, and play that way. But um, from my understanding, like yeah, you don't need like a crazy like gaming computer to participate. Um, I've actually played it before. My dad has played it. Uh, it's super fun. So um, yeah, just join the Discord and we'll get you like all the details there, all the links. Um, and yeah, we'll, I think it's twelve people who will compete in the final tournament, but there will be um, I, several um, qualifying rounds before that. So there's tons of time to play. And then also, if you don't make it, like if you don't make the final 12, we will still be hosting like kind of fun games um, the day of Mint Gox and, you know, throughout the month um, where people can participate and still win sats, um, but it just won't be in the final tournament. Um I can't remember the name of I can't remember the name of the game. I think it's the Donner Labs game. Uh, I'm wondering about can like in like when this tournament comes up and you know people are, are playing the game. Can I put a Bitcoin and ad in that game and pay y'all satoshis? Is that functional at this point, or is it something that y'all are planning on doing? Or where are we that with that? Because that would be kind of cool. So yeah, so. Um, sorry if I'm not understanding the, the question correctly, but um, yeah, Bic, uh, Bitcoin Bounty Hunt, which is the Donner Labs, is the one that we are featuring in the next event. Um, they do um, in-game ads. So um, I believe all the bounty that drops in the game are branded or they can be branded. So, you know, those sponsorship dollars will go go toward your branded bounty. So if it's like, you know, Fold wants to um, advertise in Bitcoin bounty, like the like the little bounty boxes where you can go, like those sats uh -huh. that you pick up will be like directly um, sponsored by Fold. Um, and that's the similar things. Um, yes. We do similar things in Bitcoin rally as well. Like there's a Bitcoin or there's a BitRefill 
sponsors a like a pit stop, which is called Bit Refill Station. And if you drive through Bit Refill Station, you can refill on SATs or refuel on SATs. And um, you can either just choose to stack those SATs or you can use those SATs because um, they're actual little coins to you can use them as weapons and throw them at your opponents so you can pass them. So there's like a little bit of like, interesting um game theory around like do you sack your sats or do you like just throw them at your opponents and try and actually win the race to win the grand prize so there's lots of really cool ways for sponsors and advertisers to get involved and that's something that we're kind of playing with like how can we use these new models to you know give even better sponsorship returns to people who want to support or advertise in these games yeah. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that'd be like, Oh, I don't want advertising in the game. And I was like, and I get that, but it, 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 you know, if it was done, I don't know in the, in the ways of the old model, it's boring, but somehow or another, this seems like a lot of fun to think about, you know, being able to sponsor like a refill station and have a billboard up and, you know, I've got a logo up there and, the, the sats that I, that is coming out of there are, are somehow or another branded. This opens up so much that it's hard to really wrap your head around it. So I'm going to come back to that sort of at the end of the, of the uh, interview here, but I wanted to also ask you about, can I make a bet on somebody to win inside the game and then be paid out in Satoshi's? So that's very interesting. Um, you right now at McGox, you cannot, we, we are not a betting platform uh, for mm-hmm. a host of different reasons. Um, you know, this is all just like a little side project. So, right. you know, we don't really have the time or the resources to deal with like all the, um, you know, regulation that would go into that. But, you know, that's something that we are like, obviously DLCs on Lightning are becoming a huge thing. So that's kind of, um, you know, on my personal roadmap of things to explore in the next year is, you know, how can we partner possibly with, um, you know, some of these companies who are experimenting with betting um, with discrete log contracts, whether that be like shared bits or, you know, whoever, like there's a few companies who are working on it, but um, that's something that I'm very excited about. Like, I think that could take this to the next level. Um, So yeah, I I don't know if it's anything that we'll ever like support in-house at Mint Gox, but um, we would definitely like to, you know, think about partnering with folks and exploring those um, avenues. Well, as you know, this space is replete with all manner of degeneracy. I mean, if it's not betting on shit coins, then it's card games with Tone Vase or, you know, Peter, you know, Peter McCormick making a bet on who's going to win the United States presidential elections. I mean, it's like it's like there's just no end to the amount of bets that I see flying across my Twitter feed on a daily basis. And I'm like, dude, I don't even like gambling. I, I'm like, I don't get it. But still, I had to ask because somebody somewhere out there is listening and they're probably kind of, you know, prone to degeneracy. So I had to do that. Yeah, now, I but, totally. Sub- go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I would say I totally support the degeneracy. I personally don't get it either, but I think that people love it and have fun with it. So if people have ideas, again, DM me, I'm open to explore them, but it is for sure something I'm thinking about. There you go. Desiree supports degeneracy. That's all we needed to hear. I people. do. <laughs> exactly. Okay, um, the last question on this is like, my kid would love to do this. Is there a way that, or is there something on, on the, I I know this is a small project right now, 
but eventually has there anybody even said how do we get this over to like the xbox or a playstation something that i can do with my kids and i'm not sitting in front of my main computer that i use to you know record the show and all that kind of stuff is that even a gleam in somebody's eyeball at this point or is it like we don't even have time to think about it um, you know, I think that's just so far off into the future. You know, I, I highly recommend having Simon on. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure he has some like good ideas about it. Um, Simon from Zebedee. But for me, it's, you know, it's not even something I'm necessarily thinking about. I mean, look at all the battles that are happening with like Epic Games and these walled gardens that, you know, the the hurdles for Bitcoin is just way bigger. I mean, just hearing Jack Everett with Thunder Games who has Bitcoin Bounce and Turbo 84. I mean, he's constantly struggling um, with the app store and just, you know, trying to keep his games in there. So, you know, I think it will happen maybe eventually, but I think our better bet is to just like, and I mean, I see this happening is just like, there's got to be, a new way to get games out there where, you know, you're not, you're not totally controlled by these large companies. So I think, you know, and people have been talking about kind of this transition towards browser-based games again, because, you know, there's not a lot of freedom with these big platforms, even though they have a lot of reach. So I think it's just going to be kind of more of a paradigm shift to browser-based games and, you know, finding like there, there just needs to be a new way to get these type of games out there. I think it's inevitable, but yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think the path towards ma- mass adoption of these games is, Oh, going on, you know, they're going to be on Xbox. Right. I, I don't think right. that's the logical next step. There's something that happens in between there. Yeah. And I think what happens in between there is, you know, the person that's listening to this right now saying, then I'll just build my own store. Please do. And do it fast. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, moving moving on. Um, okay. So we're talking. We've been talking about Bitcoin and, and Lightning and Mint and the Mint Gox games. Um, and so Lightning is clearly there. But you, you said Bitcoin and Lightning. Is it? Is there somewhere in there where Bitcoin main chain transactions are being done, or is it just pretty much all Lightning? No, I mean, all the ones that we're working with are all um, Lightning. I, I just try and keep it like very broad. So, um, you know, it's just that we are using Bitcoin. If somebody is creating a game that does on-chain transactions, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, we're only, we're, we're, we're Lightning only. I want to keep it like very open to like anybody who's doing something with Bitcoin. Um, so that's just kind of more of a me just trying to be um, inclusive. Okay. So, um, oh, is there any plans for like, like skins or like a marketplace for skins or, you know, customization? Yeah. So, um, actually Satoshi's games, um, with light night, they have, they do like NFT skins. Um, I'm not like an expert on NFTs and like all of that stuff, but you know, they are experimenting with that. Um, it's not something that like, you know, with, Minkox, Minkox isn't supposed to be like a game. Like, um, obviously, Christian from Zebedee has created Bitcoin Rally specifically to um, for Minkox. But you know, Minkox is more about like we are a platform for showcasing these games. We're more of this dashboard where people can actually interact directly with any game. Um, so, I mean, I don't you know foresee Minkox having like a nft skin store but um you know there are people who are experimenting with that and doing really great work but um yeah carlos and all of satoshi's games are doing a lot of cool stuff with that 
Okay. Well, so let's leave the realm of Mint Gox and start looking at gaming in general outside of, of what you guys are doing. What are your, what's your views on Bitcoin in gaming in general? And that again, that's outside of Mint Gox. So like other, you know, other platforms, other games, what do you see right now? What's going on and where do you think it might go? Like just like, like blockchain gaming. I'm actually more interested in just Bitcoin internal economies in certain games, um, that pipelines in and out regulatory hurdles, you know, that like, do you see, I guess I could boil it down to Bitcoin and gaming. Do you see a fight or is it inevitable? Um, both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, (laughs) I mean, I think it's inevitable, right? Like it doesn't, you know, I was explaining to someone else the other day that it's like, why can't you just do, um, like, why aren't you okay with just using your credit card for game, like for your games? I'm like, do you realize how annoying that is? Like I, Oh my God. Like when I, when I go to download a game on my PlayStation, it's like, okay, now I have to like go get my card and then I got to like load up something on my PlayStation. And then I have these credits and then I purchase the game with the credits. I'm like, this is like the most insane process. Like, I don't know why people do it. Like, for me, it's like such it's such a pain to go through all of those steps. And then, I mean, there really is no in-game economies. There are no in-game economies with these current popular games. So, you know, I think people, like, look at World of Warcraft, like farming for gold and stuff in there. Like, that, mm-hmm. I mean, people love that shit. They still do it. Yep. So that's inevitable. You know, people have been playing games not just video games since like the dawn of time and what has always been involved in games money, right? (laughs) Like card games, money, like there's always been a financial component to them. And so I think it's just kind of inevitable. Um, But, you know, obviously it opens up these like really interesting um, circular economies around the games. Um, So that's inevitable. The regulatory thing is that's also inevitable. There's going to be a fight. I mean, there's, a fight just with Bitcoin in general. Um, and so, you know, if you try and take a piece of any pie, especially with, you know, Microsoft, Apple, like any of these places, like they're, you know, those folks are going to put up a fight too. Um, and so I, we just have to kind of get ready to, you know, start the battle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I, I think that, you know, most of the gaming companies are sitting I don't know, sitting pretty insofar as that they don't want to take on the regulatory risk and they already have their own coin that people are spending dollars on. So right now they're sort of lulled into this, you know, sense of we don't have to really do anything. And honestly, I think that's going to be the biggest mistake that most of the gaming companies actually make is by their complacency. That's what I, that's what I see. Um, and also, you know, like I think I do think it's inevitable simply because all the uh, econ- quote unquote economies that are in gaming, um, I've seen most of them just literally die within weeks of opening the game. Um, like somebody figures out a way to duplicate all the gold and do it twice. And then everybody else figures out how to do it with the most, you know, the the most uh, insanely deadly weapon that they can find. And there was only supposed to be two. And now there's like five million, you know. So even with objects, it's not just the money because it's like any good at all can become part of the economy. And I've just I've seen 
so many economies, they really wanted to have it work. And it's like, people are always going to game the system and they're always going to find that crack. And once they find that crack, you're pretty much toast. So with all that said, what's next for you, Mint Gox and Lightning Labs, if you want to get into that, because we are kind of needing to come to a close because you got a hard stop coming up. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, Yeah, it's a a day in the life, lots of meetings. Um, But yeah, so for Lightning Labs, um, if you didn't notice, if people haven't heard, uh, we just released um, Lightning Pool, which um, is a non-custodial peer-to-peer marketplace for Lightning Node operators to buy and sell access to liquidity. Um, And it's also you know, opening up a new way to actually earn yield on your Bitcoin. So if folks um, haven't heard about that, definitely go to our blog, go to lightning.engineering and check check that out. If you have any questions, um, DM us. We are getting people set up. Um, People are really, really pumped about Lightning Pool. So um, the future of finance is definitely built on Lightning. And um, I just got to say, like, this has been a crazy year with DeFi, but um, now we're, you know, kind of turning the curve with Wi-Fi, so Lightning Finance. So check that out. Um, for Mint Gox, uh, we have announced our two next events. Uh, like I said, we Mint Gox 9 will be on the 29th of this month. So definitely join our Discord. Um, the link is on mintgox.com and also on our Twitter. Um, but definitely get in line um, to be part of our tournament is going to be amazing. Um, And we also have like awesome prizes, um, you know, from, from what is it? From Mount socks, which is like awesome. We have a partnership with them. (laughs) Shamari, the Bitcoin card game. Um, And we also will be getting some Mitgox swag for folks. So um, definitely um, join the discord. Also the Zebedee wallet, which is like um, specifically built for, um, Bitcoin Lightning Gaming. Um, download that. Get your gamer tag early. Um, I mine is Des. If you want to send me some stats, but um, that is um, kind of our recommended wallet um, to use during the event. But um, do that, and then Minkox Ten, which will be in December. We have like some crazy awesome stuff planned. So that'll be like kind of our um, peak event of the year. So um, be on the lookout for that, and yeah, just join our Discord that's kind of the immediate future, um, for Minkox. Okay. Well, so now is time to shill your Twitter blog website, your, your personal stuff. Where can people find you at? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, my Twitter is just at Dickerson underscore does. Um, like I said, my DMS are open for, you know, any suggestions, if you want to get involved with McGox, if you have questions about Lightning Pool, um, DM me, uh, you know, happy to help as much as possible. But, um, you know, also follow at McGox um, and at Lightning as well. But, um, yeah, join the Discord. It's super fun. Uh, we do like we have like a music channel where we all kind of just like DJ throughout the day. It's like a really cool way to like stay connected and get involved um, between the main McGox events. So, yeah. Well, I do appreciate you spending so much time with me today. Thank you so much, Desiree. You have a wonderful day. Awesome. Thanks so much. This was great.
she was fun. She was a lot of fun. <clears throat> like, I enjoy her penchant for having dangerous animals. <laughs> it's always a good sign, man. Especially in this space. And, and the defensive degeneracy. Probably my favorite thing so far. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Uh, let's go ahead and close this one out. I want to remind you guys, if you can, share the pod, uh, subscribe, uh, it, you know, like, I don't know, like it, give me a five-star rating because all that kind of really helps. I'm actually watching some numbers kind of go up. Um, my numbers have been going sideways for a while, but they're starting to start, start to rise. I, a, a lot of that has to, I think a lot of that has to do with the price of Bitcoin. I have noticed over the last you know, over two years of doing this, this uh, podcast that the number of listeners, and it ain't just me, but the number of listeners drops off uh, when it even looks like a bear market. But now that we're kind of in a bull market, um, the numbers seem to be going up. And this would be a good time to ask for your help if you can't support me financially, which I have given you almost no way to do, which has been on purpose for a while. Um, that's because I... I I feel, I feel it's uh, necessary to do a little bit of service. And for right now, my service is, um, you know, bringing you the news and now I'm starting to do some interviews. So if you, you know, and I haven't given you a whole lot of options to be able to, you know, throw me some Satoshis. Uh, but what I do ask is that you share the pot around really helps grow the audience. You know, it's, it's, and it's, you know, it's always welcome when I see somebody do that. So it costs you nothing but time. And I know that your time is worth something. So even then, it's greatly appreciated. And with that, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.